0: Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. How you doing today? We are rolling into spring for sure, at least that's how I'm feeling in Boulder, although we'll probably get like five more big snowstorms. That's what usually happens, always on Mother's Day weekend and sometimes even in June, but that's all right. It melts faster, the sun is back out. I don't feel like I'm in the dreary Midwest anymore. Sorry for you Midwesters, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, Today we have an awesome guest. Allie Kearney is gonna be coming on the show. Before she does, I want to let you know that Skirt Sports is still in the warehouse moving process, and therefore you can still use the code back the number two Boulder back to Boulder um, for twenty five percent off, and that includes. Two brand new collections that just launched in the past week. The All In Collection, which is just this insane new fabric, new style collection that I believe is ageless. Um, One of our amazing employees, Jen, brought home her new leggings, and her, literally, her high school daughter was like, I need those right now. She put them on, she wore them on a hike, and she was like, I need another pair for my friends, so we can go out and take pictures. You know, i'm I'm serious. We're talking Gen Z likes these things. And here I am getting ready to go to yoga this morning, wearing mine. So from Gen X to Gen Z, and probably the, a whole bunch of baby boomers are going to embrace this new collection. It is it's just the most comfortable, comfortable thing you'll ever wear. And we're talking leggings bras and flowy beautiful tees and tanks in colors that when i launched skirt sports i never would have touched i only wanted bold and bright and fun and these are more on like the dusty pastel side Basically, they're super trending in a whole bunch of different industries and now they're touching into fitness wear and we are on that train and oh, you're going to love it. So check out the all-in collection and we just launched this season's active swimwear. So we have a five-piece collection in swim as well, including a new style called the brakini top. Um, and really cool thing, side note, we let our customers and ambassadors help choose the direction for this collection. So the prints that we launched with were voted on. They are the number one and number two prints that our community voted on. And we just decided whatever they vote on, we're making. So uh, we did. And they're cool. So check out Swim as well and use that code back to Boulder at skirtsports.com for 25% off. One more quick thing. I got some new Patreon supporters. You guys are amazing. I actually need to get some new equipment. Um, After three years, my microphones are starting to like poop out on me. (laughs) And um, I want to get a a device that allows me to interview more than one person at once. So I need need some new stuff. And... um, You know, this podcast is so freaking meaningful. We all know that. You know that because you're listening today. It's about helping to create a more positive world. So thank you for your support. If you are interested, people are pitching in from one to 15 bucks a month, patreon.com backslash Nicole DeBoom. I appreciate you so, so much. All right, on to today's guest, Allie Kearney. Allie is one of the brightest, most vibrant lights you will see out there. Um, when you go over to her Instagram, abk underscore runs, you will see exactly what I'm talking about. It's like when she smiles, it just, it's contagious. We all know smiling's contagious anyway, but with Allie, it truly is. You just feel a lightness and a happiness. Um, the thing about that. Is that like everybody, the stories that are behind that lightness and that happiness are often not what you might expect. And, you know, this life is just a journey that we go through, and sometimes we have to struggle to get to these places where we can find that enlightenment within ourselves. Allie definitely struggled. Um, She struggled from the time she was a young child with depression and anxiety um, up through her formative years and her teen years with some very just sad and scary coping mechanisms. Um, Namely, she used... Well, you know what? I'm going to pause right here because Allie suggested, and I totally agree, that we put a little warning um, at, the, at the forefront of this podcast that we, this could be a trigger podcast for people. We are going to talk about both disordered eating and cutting as uh, behaviors that some people may find triggery. So if you do not want to listen on because you know you are on the edge or this would be too sensitive for you, then go listen to a different episode. Um, so I want that to be noted right now because that's exactly what what Allie went through. And she came out of it by finding the beautiful form of running. And she has included a healthy a healthy mindset towards herself as she has come out of the darker stages and into the light. Uh, I believe you will love Allie's outlook on life. She is open. She is honest. She's vulnerable. All things that we need to do in order to help other people who might be struggling. All right, then, without further ado, let's welcome Allie Kearney. All right, Allie, we're here. We did it. (laughs) We connected. We did. And, you know, it's cool. Um... You are hanging out in a onesie in Florida in the middle of late winter. I am. And it's only 4.30 in the afternoon. What's up with that?
1: <laughs> well, it's, a, it's kind of my MO. Uh, I get home from work and I just drop my clothes on my way to the bedroom and put a onesie on because I, I need to be comfortable when I get home.
0: So is this something you've always done your whole life, onesie wearing <laughs> the minute you get home from work?
1: <laughs> Actually, it's it's a fairly new development. Um, and it started when I moved to Florida, because Florida, you know, I went to a school with uniforms. So it was, uh, you take off a uniform the minute you get home and you put something comfortable on. So, but the onesie is very new. I got it last month for my birthday.
0: Oh my gosh. So who gave it to you?
1: So my husband, uh, gave me this onesie and it is, I'd like to clarify, not a sexy lingerie onesie, uh, although it does have a back flap.
0: Oh, like Uh, for easy pee and poopy access.
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Kind of like the gotta go skirt. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah,
1: a little bit. Wow. So yeah, I, (laughs) I told him that, um, you know, some of my friends, some of my teammates uh, when I ran Ragnar in December had some fuzzy warm onesies and I was freezing and jealous. So I told him I wanted one and he remembered and, and got me one for my birthday.
0: Wow. So we have established that you run crazy long distance races with friends. You mm-hmm. You run cold, tend to run cold, <laughs> and you have an awesome husband who buys you things like fuzzy onesies. <laughs> I love it. Sounds like a pretty full life.
1: Yes, I would say so. And uh, a very full and and lucky life.
0: So uh, what job did you just get home from? What do you do?
1: So I'm a t- teacher um, and... It's. I call myself a teacher because it's easy, but um, I'm not technically in the classroom anymore. I used to teach eighth grade English, and um, now I'm out of the classroom full time, and my job is coaching and mentoring teachers.
0: So you work with adults. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, is this like the path you had in mind, or did it just sort of happen?
1: So... It just sort of happened. Um, it was actually my like senior year of college second semester when I decided like, oh my God, I think I want to be a teacher. <laughs> and I had taken a class that one of our our projects was to teach a section to the to the rest of the students. And um, I got so much positive feedback from my peers and my professor. And I realized, wow, I really love this. So I um, you know, I was about to graduate and I was like, I have no idea how to teach. Um, So I had to, I applied to grad school so that I could learn a little bit about how to actually be a teacher um, and then went from there. And yeah, it, it turned out to be something that I just really enjoy. And it surprised me a little bit that, you know, how much I connected with it.
0: You know, can we uh, talk a little bit about that idea that here you were almost done with college and then you made a big decision that would impact um, the trajectory of your life going forward, which wasn't planned to be as a teacher. So, you know, there's, I think a lot of people listening who, you know, we have these certain ideas in our mind when we set goals, but at the very final hour, we realize they don't feel right, but Mm -hmm. often we don't pull out because we've Mm -hmm. already put so much in. So what what brought you to the point where you were like, oh, I got to change tracks now, even though it basically is too late?
1: hmm. Well, I think that it helped that I didn't have a set track in mind. Um, I was an English major because English reading and writing um, were the only things in school that I really connected with and enjoyed. Um, and so, you know, I just was one of those kids and one of those young adults who didn't have a lot of direction outside of being in the moment. And I almost feel like It was fate that I took this class uh, at the last minute, really, and realized that there was there was something for me out there that connected with, you know, the foundation of my passion, uh, which was the reading and writing. So in a way, it was kind of more that I was very open (laughs) and I didn't have a set goal um, that allowed me to find what what worked for me and fit for me.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so, there's like so much beauty in that, but then it's so Mm -hmm. averse to what we're told and taught, especially as Mm -hmm. athletes and runners, like we're out there setting goals and then we go about the path to tackle them. Right. Yep. Wow. Yeah, It
1: really is very, uh, it's kind of the antithesis of how we live our lives as athletes, I think.
0: So, um, You know, one of the things that I really want to talk about today is, so a few years ago, I wrote an article, not a few years, not too long ago, maybe a year ago, I wrote an article about runners and depression, and it Mm -hmm. turned into an article about depression and anxiety, so it expanded a bit, and it was brought to the forefront for me because we have a group called the Women Who Move group on Facebook, Mm -hmm. and this woman who is not super involved in the skirt sports community just a you know a woman out there who found the group of women runners she said my mom added me to this group because she thinks i could use the help and support from other women i suffer from depression is this really the group for me Mm -hmm. and i wasn't sure what was going to happen and i held back from answering because you know i don't have a natural predisposition to depression and anxiety, I've, I've experienced it, but it's not, it's not my baseline. So I watched and I thought if nobody answers her, I'll jump in and and try to lend support. But here's what happened. Like a hundred people answered Mm -hmm. and it prompted me to dig deeper into this topic of like exercise and, and depression and mood and how, how one can maybe help the other And when I reached out to our skirt community, of which you are an amazing skirt sports ambassador now, I think, Mm -hmm. in our legacy program, right? Yeah. You've been around so long.
1: I know. Um, I think it's my fifth year this year. (laughs) Oh, that
0: is so cool. Um, You were very open about sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, maybe it's just a great moment here for us to go all the way back in time to dig into that That part of what you experienced in your early years and how you've been able to, I don't know, um, cope with your own depression uh, so that by the time you are a senior in college and being faced with hard decisions like this, you maybe had more skills in order to be able to make those decisions like we just hit on. Mm -hmm. So I know it's kind of a long-winded, you know, way to just say like, let's talk about Let's talk about this issue. Yeah. Let's bring it up right away. Let's get it out there on the table. <laughs> um so so yeah, maybe take us through your your journey as a little girl.
1: Okay. Um so I always feel like when I talk about running and its relationship to my depression, I always want to kind of preface it by saying that I don't think that just exercise works for everyone. Like I fully believe that therapy and medication are completely valid and necessary ways to cope with depression for some people. Um, and I feel like there's a stigma, you know, surrounding that um, and this whole like fear of medication. And so I personally am not currently medicated, um, but I feel like I don't want people to get the impression that running uh, alone was it can be enough for everyone. You know, um, I just want to make sure that it never comes across that way you know um but I was just like a depressed kid from like the from day one uh, I was always anxious very very sensitive I was the kind of kid who like if a teacher gently instructed me to take a seat I would be like oh the teacher yelled at me and you know she hates me and then I would be anxious about going to school the next day Um, and really that was just kind of who I was and and it wasn't really a big deal um, until around the time that I hit puberty because I grew up in this town where everyone knew each other. You know, we all went to school together from kindergarten through middle school. And I was friends with the same people for that whole time. Um, And then my dad retired when I was 12 and decided that if he was going to retire, we were going to move to Florida. He was just, he said, no more, no more Ohio winters.
0: You know, could pause for a <laughs> sec, because I can yeah. totally relate to that. And I do believe in the whole seasonal anxiety <laughs> mm-hmm. disorder, right?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think I definitely had, I do think that um, sad that seasonal anxiety, depression, uh, disorder was, was an aspect uh, of my life growing up. Um, and I think maybe it would have only been that, you know, it might not have ever uh, gotten worse or become full-blown depression. Um, If I had stayed in that really safe environment with all these people, I'd known my whole life. But when we moved, uh, that was a huge upheaval for me. That was just, I think, really the turning point where my anxiety and sensitivity became real depression. Um, And it was around that time when we were preparing for this move. So I was uh, 13 at the time now, cause we moved in that summer, um, that I started self-harming. I started cutting, uh, to deal with my depression.
0: Wow. Okay. So by the way, it is seasonal affective disorder. Oh, yeah. In my mind, I Thank was you. like, that's not right, but it does <laughs> yeah, create, yeah. you know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, you move at 12 years old, like mm-hmm. possibly the most one of the most difficult years of any young, mm. young girl, you know, mm-hmm. this is when lots of things are going on in our bodies. Um, So I do understand why that would be hard. And you're kind of having to create new social circles. And especially mm-hmm. since you're prone to anxiety, of course, it's going to be worse. And did your do you have siblings?
1: Yes, I have an older brother and a younger
0: sister. And um, I mean, how did that? come into play where they both do you compare yourself to them or are they supportive of you or include you how does that all play out
1: um yeah so it's it's kind of hard to think back on that and know where they were at in the whole situation because i was so self-focused uh, my brother and i at the time didn't really get along because i was like the annoying younger sister and my sister and I had been very, very close when we were little, but because I was going through puberty, uh, we were having our own kind of like, you know, just that that struggle, that tension that uh, siblings can have, that sisters especially, I think, can have. So I felt very alone. And I don't think that that is anything on them. Um, you know, they were dealing with their own issues with the move. My brother was in high school, so he was almost done you know and and so he was dealing with that and my sister was only in like 4th grade um so i think that i felt very isolated um and part of part of what exacerbated that was that i didn't reach out you know i just really um internalized all of my anxiety and fear and then i felt more lonely and more anxious and it really was kind of like this spiral uh that If I had reached out earlier, I might have been able to avoid how bad it got.
0: Well, and there's a couple things that come to mind, too, is you mentioned feeling isolated. And we know now, like, loneliness is a true epidemic. And Mm -hmm. you don't usually think of it in kids as young as 12, but, I mean, definitely you know, more I'm talking about it or looking at it from like a young woman's lens, like I would through my business. But this is like, this can happen at any age. And, uh, the tools that we have to deal with that are, you know, I don't know how, how to deal with that at this point. Like looking back, what would you have done to, to change that? I mean, it wasn't in your personality to just walk into school and be like, I'm here, the new kid, be my friend, <laughs> you know? like.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, um, you know, back then, because this was like 1999, uh, we didn't have the internet the way we have it now. So I did have um, like AIM, you know, Messenger for chatting with my friends and things like that. But like, the ability to reach out and maybe uh, connect with people beyond just the people who were right in front of you was much harder to do. So feeling lonely, uh, and feeling like, you know, pulled away from from your core group of friends that back then, I think was much harder to combat, especially once the move finally went through. Um, and I was just separated from all of these people that I had known since I was five years old.
0: Oh, for sure. And not to yeah. mention the hormones. And I'm sure oh, your body gosh. was changing at that point. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, so much. So um it's I to backtrack a little bit when I was um 11, I was diagnosed with celiac, which uh, is gluten intolerance. And up until that point, I had been extremely underweight, um, always sick. And we just thought that I was like, this kind of sickly kid. Uh, and then once I was diagnosed and I went on the gluten-free diet, I gained weight very quickly because my body was finally getting the nutrients that it had been needing. You know, I'd been basically starving myself without meaning to. And, um, so I was like right in that crux of puberty and all of a sudden gained like, you know, 20, 25 pounds, like really quickly, uh, you know, I was still a relatively thin kid, but I had like stretch marks and stuff, um, which none of my friends had because no one else had had that massive and or very quick, I should say, weight gain. Um, so, yeah, I was just it. it's a bad time to be a girl. I feel like that that 11, 12, 13 years old, it is hard. I think it's still hard today, even, you know, for for the kids that I work with, you know, it's just not an easy age
0: okay, so I have an eight-year-old, she's going to quickly in the blink of an eye be 11, 12, and 13. Like, mm-hmm. what the heck do I do to help <laughs> help her maintain her sanity?
1: Yeah. Um, man, I wish I had an answer for that. All right. That. <laughs> well, we'll
0: come back to that. We'll back. Yeah, um, yeah. So what you, you know, basically... Where all of this went, all of your anxiety went was into mm-hmm. harming yourself. Self-harm yes. became yeah. your outlet. So mm-hmm. I've actually never spoken to somebody who was, for lack of a better word, a cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how else to describe you know what you were using to cope, so mm-hmm. how how did you find that coping mechanism?
1: So when I was still in Ohio before the move, um, I had a friend and he, his parents were going through something and he was cutting himself and that's how I discovered it was, was through him doing it. And I can't, you know, there's not like a moment that I can remember the first time I tried it or anything like that. Um, I really can't pinpoint what made me think like maybe this will also help me but I think there was you know just this kind of natural curiosity and this kind of morbid interest and whatever it was that um that made me try it the first time it I did experience such a relief um and I know now (laughs) that that was just this release of endorphins that that your body releases when you're injured um But it physically made me feel better and, like, helped to clear some of the anger and fear and depression that I was feeling. And so it really became a coping mechanism. It became the only way I knew to cope with these big feelings that I was having. Um, And I I remember telling friends that I, I was so depressed and so sad that I literally felt like I was swollen with it and then the release of cutting felt like an actual physical release of this internal pressure um and so it just became the only the only coping mechanism that I knew how to use
0: wow oh my gosh and it's like fairly extreme i mean you're taking a sharp object to your skin i mean mm-hmm. so as much of this as you want to share, I really, um, I'm just, I want to understand, like, Mm -hmm. would you, where on your body did you, did you cut? Mm
1: -hmm. So I started on my ankles, um, because that was where my friend had started and it was very easy to cover it with socks. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of where I started and, you know, your skin on your ankles is very thin. So it was, very easy uh, when you start there. Um, And then eventually I moved up to like my thighs because I was trying to stick to places that no one could see. Um, Because especially when I was, uh, you know, 13, and then as it went on into my teens, I wanted to be able to hide it, you know, so um, I cut my thighs and my ankles and really kept it pretty much there uh, for most of high school. And, and my cutting went into college with me because I never had developed any other way to cope with stress. Um, so even when my depression eventually leveled out and I found friends in Florida and I, you know, developed better connections and all of these things... Any time I had any kind of relapse into stress or anxiety or depression, cutting was just the natural coping mechanism for me. So I could be like having the time of my life at a at you know a party or at a sporting event or whatever it might be, and then the next day be stressed out about math homework and resort to cutting. Uh, so it was just. You know, it was one of those things that just became part of my life. But
0: did it feel like um an addiction, like oh, oh yes. I know I'm gonna do this later, mm-hmm. I shouldn't, but I'm gonna and then there's this sort of build up to you know, the process?
1: Oh yes. Uh I definitely liken it to an addiction, especially because um like, the thoughts and the urges, even though I haven't cut now in, I think, like, 13 years, um, I still sometimes get that feeling. And um, my my grandpa, who was a smoker, used to tell me that, like, he never will call himself an ex-smoker because he hasn't smoked in 40 years, but he still gets the urge. And that, that really resonated with me. I was like, that's how it feels as uh, as a reformed cutter. You know, I... Um, I would feel like an urge. I would feel like I know I'm going to do this later. I would get rid of, you know, whatever implements I was using and be like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then like a couple days later, go out and buy something new. Um, and I just couldn't, it was a habit I couldn't kick.
0: Wow. Okay. So were you ever like caught? Did your family ever see you doing it or did they, were they aware?
1: I think, looking back, uh, I know that they were aware. My mom did try to confront me a couple times, but I think she felt as lost as I did, you know, with the whole thing and didn't know how to address it. Um, You know, we tried going to therapy. I tried going to therapy. Um, We tried antidepressants and it just I didn't give it the full effort that I probably should have. And I you know, just kind of let it go by the wayside. And so I think looking back that my parents probably knew um, and didn't know really what to do about it um, and didn't know how to talk to me about it. And what actually ended up eventually making me stop was that it was the first time my mom, like, really said to me, you know, are you hurting yourself again? And can you like just promise me that if you're going to do something you'll tell me. And this at the time this was when I was a sophomore in college and just knowing that she knew and how much I was hurting her by doing it was like this wake up call for me that this was not a coping mechanism I could use forever. This is not something that was just hurting myself, it was hurting my family and that just I I was like I you know, I can't do it anymore. So I told her, I said, well, well, I did. I had a relapse. But like, that was it. That was the last time I did it.
0: And so that literally was the last time.
1: Yeah, that that was the last time. Uh, I think I remember like, getting off the phone with her and immediately, uh, you know, getting rid of what I had been using. Um, and just being like, I can't do that anymore. <laughs>
0: Wow, okay, so you know when we have these addictions or mm-hmm. habits that we don't we know we don't like and we want to stop, they become these big secrets, and mm-hmm. they often you know help create walls to you know having other relationships or letting people into our lives. did you feel that that had happened to you? Uh,
1: yeah, definitely. Um there were like a couple of my friends who knew um, and the people who knew also were self-harming. So it was like a little support group and probably not the healthiest dynamic. Um, Although a lot of those girls are still my very close friends, you know, because we've been able to uh, bond and see each other at our lowest points. Um, But being called out, like having my secret really revealed in a, outside of that safe bubble of people um that was uh, i don't know what do they say about like you know when you shine a light on a shadow you know it just it goes away the secret had to go away so um but like any addiction it wasn't cured overnight it was one of those things where i still had really bad urges and then eventually the um my i still didn't know how to deal with stress and depression so Eventually, I turned to other harmful things. So then I started like restricting my food and dealing with like bad diet and really disordered eating uh, issues. So I kind of cured or stopped acting on one addiction, but then moved to another harmful habit because I still had not found something to help me deal with all of these big feelings that I was having.
0: Oh, boy. Okay. So at the base of the big feelings, Mm -hmm. was there any kind of event or, you know, thing that had happened to you that you needed to work through? Or was this truly, as you described earlier, like, I was just an anxious kid?
1: I really, there was not one thing that happened that caused it for me. Um, I just have always been, you know, people used to say that I was like, very serious as a kid I was interested in kind of morbid things it's just who I always had been um and I I almost wish that there had been something that I could pinpoint because then you know it would be maybe easier to unpack that and go go into therapy and work through it um but I don't I think that the move was the move from Ohio to Florida was a turning point but I don't think it was the cause I think that I was exhibiting depressive behaviors and, um, and feelings before that time.
0: Okay. So, so you, like you said, you kind of, you kicked one habit and mm-hmm. on to the next. So yep. in college, you then you had a wake up call. You decided it's time to stop hurting the people around me, which, I fully agree. Um, I've had a, a guest on this podcast, this amazing guy. His name is Scott Strode, and he started an organization called Phoenix Multisport, which is for recovering addicts and alcoholics to come and sort of, some people may say, replace that addiction with an mm-hmm. exercise <laughs> addiction. But really, he's he's giving them a support group and then a natural you know, uh, athletic release. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a really cool organization. And I remember sitting down with him when I was sort of questioning if I had an alcohol problem and I asked him, you know, what, how do I know? And Mm -hmm. he said, well, my biggest sort of sign or how I might define it is if you are causing yourself or others around you harm or pain. Mm -hmm. And in your case, you know, you were causing your body physical harm. You were causing the people around you physical pain or, you know, Mm -hmm. emotional pain. So I totally get that. Mm -hmm. And you were like, okay, boom, wake up. But like you said, another, you needed, still needed a way to cope. So how did your like eating disorder play out?
1: Mm -hmm. So the, the end of my cutting uh, was I had I had basically moved on from like the places I could hide it to my arms um and so when I kind of transitioned to a different harmful behavior I wanted you know to to be able to hide it so it's very easy in college to, uh, when you're away from home away from the people who usually make sure you're getting your three square meals and all of that um you know, I was over 18, so I was able to buy diet pills. Uh, So it really, I want to say it happened almost by accident. I just was uh, in a place where mentally I was able to see, like, it was almost like a game, like, how long can I go? I don't, I can't feel the physical pain of a cut, but I can feel the physical pain of hunger. And uh, how can I, how long can I deal with that hunger? Uh, And When will it start to dull whatever emotional pain I was having? Um, And that, it almost started as like playing chicken and then got out of my control as eating disorders do. Um, You know, I, I didn't think I really had a problem until it was too late. And then I was like, oh, no, I have a problem. I haven't actually overcome anything. You know, I haven't really learned how to deal with anything the way that I thought I had.
0: So, were you what how did this come to light?
1: So, um I was talking to a friend of mine in in a class. Um and we were just I don't I think she was eating like baby carrots or something and I said something about um you know how I was looking for health, you know, healthier foods to eat um and she you know, recommended the dietitian on campus. She was like, she's really great. She helps me uh, you know, know what I should and shouldn't be eating. And she said, I've had a disorder an eating disorder in the past, and this on campus dietitian has been really helpful to me. And I was like, okay, well, I want to go to her and like check her out. And she kind of asked me what I was eating on campus and all this stuff. Um, and I hadn't even realized at that point, like how much I was restricting, but I kind of did the math right there in front of her. And I was like, oh, I'm eating like maybe 600 or 700 calories a day. And she said, oh my God, that is not enough. And she told me, you know, all about how much I should be eating, how much protein, how much uh, carbs, all of this stuff. And I basically took that advice and then completely perverted it. (laughs) And so that I could figure out how little I could eat and still, um, and still function. Um, and so in a way, going to that dietitian gave me fuel to continue my eating disorder uh, longer than maybe I would have, you know, maybe I would have burned out earlier on it uh, if I hadn't seen her. Um, but yeah, it was, it's kind of like just those little conversations you have with friends that sometimes pique these interests. Like that's what I've noticed in my history is that you know i picked up cutting from a friend i picked up disordered eating habits from a friend uh and i was testing out these different these different ways to try to make myself get through mental and emotional pain and seeing what worked with for other people um and unfortunately everything i picked up from people were really harmful things for me
0: so didn't did you in your heart know this was not healthy
1: oh absolutely and in a way, I was I think kind of taking pride in the fact that it was unhealthy. Um, you know maybe I felt like it was uh, you know it made me interesting um, and it it gave me something else to focus on. So I knew it wasn't a good decision, but it was something that I felt in control of and um, you know I, I felt like it, it gave me an aspect to my personality that maybe people didn't expect. Um, and so there was kind of this, this weird, this weird aspect of almost like, uh, having a secret, you know, and feeling special for having that secret.
0: Well, yeah. And I totally understand forming your identity around it and taking pride in something that's so clearly not really pride worthy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when and how were you finally able to, to move on from this addiction with, you know, food obsession?
1: Mm-hmm. So I will say, you know, it's still something that sometimes I struggle with, although, like, I, I don't count calories anymore, or anything like that. But I think for me, uh, what ended up really working was developing relationships that I didn't with people that I didn't want to let down. So when I um, went to grad school, to get my master's in English education. Um, You know, I met a group of people that were we were all like minded, uh, you know, learning how to teach English to teenagers. And there was just this very strong bonding moment. And then also that year, I got engaged. So I had like all of these positive relationships surrounding me. Um, And I was, you know, kind of mentally preparing for a wedding that was going to come up and I was learning how to teach in a classroom and I was working with young people and I wanted to be a positive role model. And I was very aware that um, I was, I could not be a positive role model and continue harming myself. So, you know, without feeling like a hypocrite. Um, So I, around New Year's, 2009 or so, I was so stressed and I was just anxious and depressed and going through it. And I thought like, I absolutely cannot relapse. I cannot relapse. Like, what am I going to do? And I very distinctly remember being on campus. I was at the University of Florida at the time and seeing a runner and she was just this like gazelle, you know, running over these beautiful hills in Gainesville. And I thought, I need to learn to run like that is going that's going to do it for me. Um, And I told my fiance that I wanted to learn to run and I told a couple of friends that I wanted to learn to run and I don't know it just clicked for me like the first time I tried to run I got like a quarter mile and then walked the rest of the way I was so like I grew up with terrible terrible asthma and just like was never uh, athletic I played volleyball and that was pretty much it. Um, and, but I just, something about it like immediately clicked for me and I just kept at it. And, um, and then with the support of my now husband who bought me my first pair of running shoes and my first, uh, iPod to listen to music to and And all this stuff and my onesie, (laughs) (laughs) he continues to buy me wonderful things. (laughs) Um, but yeah, he just was so supportive and it's just like, you know, And I just went from there and running became, for me, finally, you know, a coping mechanism that was actually really helpful, gave me the endorphin rush that I was looking for, um, and and was healthy, finally.
0: So at that point, when you found running, this is so interesting, because so many of your both unhealthy and healthy, you know, choices in life have come from you know watching other people go through them Mm -hmm. and and um by the time you hit you were in grad school I think right yes and you were like I need something new because had you you know you said I can't relapse did that Mm -hmm. mean with cutting or did that mean with eating disorders
1: yeah it was really about both because um I was in a place where I realized like I can't be in in an intimate relationship with my fiance um, and have him know that I'm hurting myself. Like, I just can't do that to him. So I was just, you know, I was in that place where I, I knew that I needed something and I knew what my first reaction was always going to be to go back to. Um, and I just made a decision, a very conscious decision that I needed to find something else and that it had to be something I, wasn't going to have to lie about and hide from people. And so running, you know, runners love to tell people that they're runners. I didn't have to lie or hide about that at all.
0: That's very true. Um, (laughs) Were you when you what's your husband's name? Matt. Matt. Okay. So Mm -hmm. when you met Matt, and you got Mm -hmm. to know him, and you you know, you start this amazing relationship, were you open with him about your past issues?
1: Um, I was. Actually, the first time that uh, he saw any of my scars, he asked me point blank, you know, what is that? And I told him that it was self-inflicted and that I that I am a cutter. I used the current, uh, you know, I said I am in present tense, even though it had been a little while since I had done that. Um, because I still knew that that was a part of who I was and that I was still kind of learning how to get over the urges. Um, and he just was like, you know, I'm so sorry you've ever felt that way. And he kind of held me for a little bit and then, you know, we moved on. Um, and since being with him, since like seriously being with him, I've never, cut again. And, and part of that is because I can't imagine having to see and hear him deal with that. Um, you know, I don't want to put him through that. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, I don't know, I don't know why that works for me. I know that for some people, they need more than an external motivation, but I almost feel protective of him in that way. You know, I don't want him to have to deal with me in that pain.
0: Well, I mean, it makes so much sense. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to purposely hurt the people we love, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when they see us hurting, they hurt. Oh, yeah. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But without other people in our lives, it's it's going back to being a lonely existence again, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I feel like these experiences you've had have been sort of to quote one of my past guests. Tunda Barrego. She says, "Thank you for the lessons. May mm-hmm. you be well. May you be at peace. Thank you for the lessons. These are these were these have been like parts of your journey that you almost have to thank, in a screwed up kind of way."
1: Yeah. No. I d- I definitely agree with that because um, I think that if it weren't for knowing um, what it is to deal with things in such an unhealthy way I would never have found a healthier way to do it you know and and I might have always just been depressed I might have always just felt like well this is just what life is for me now um and I do think that I have so much more compassion and empathy for people when I see what they go through I it's one of the reasons I wanted to work with young teens uh when I started teaching, because I just feel like that those kids need so much support and so much love. They're going through so much. Um, And I do feel like it, you know, these experiences have shaped me as a person and completely shaped the way that my
0: mind works. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they make us stronger. That is for sure. You are a very strong person at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So can I ask you a little more about your running too?
1: Oh, yeah, of course.
0: So I do know some friends who struggle with eating disorders and they actually use running as part of, in, in a negative way, as mm-hmm. a way to, you know, offset calories and things like that. So did that ever enter your mind or was running always looked at as a joyful expression and and it didn't go hand in hand with, mm-hmm. you know, the the restrictive eating?
1: Yeah. So... I never used running or exercise as a punishment for my body, which I think is how a lot of, of people with eating disorders use running. Um, and I think the reason that that never even entered my mind is because I purposely chose running as an empowering option that was not going to be harmful. You know, I I picked it because I knew it would be good for me and, um, And I think the first time I ever successfully ran a mile was so transformative and made me feel so powerful and strong and proud of my body um, that for me, it was more of like, I had no idea that I was capable of this and that this is part of who I am um, in in a positive way. Like for me, I think it just, Um, was always separate from calories and losing weight Um, and then obviously it it helped that I had stopped counting calories and had made the decision to try to be healthier in that aspect so uh, I was able to really keep them separate.
0: Well and you know we're talking about how we give ourselves different identities right Mm -hmm. and when you're a kid you were basically told like you can't be an athlete because do you have bad asthma? Or I'm assuming right. that that mm-hmm. was ingrained yeah. in you. Yeah. So yeah. if it had to feel like you said it was transformative and you were so strong and powerful to even be able to go out there and run that first mile. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I can only imagine the, the entire horizon just got bigger.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember I came home from that first mile and I immediately called Matt because at the time – um, I was in Florida and he was in Indiana working Uh, and I called him and I was just like, I ran a mile and I did it without stopping. And, you know, he was so excited for me. And for the first like two or three years of running, um, I didn't know that you could like do races. So I thought like, oh, I'm just like going out for a run and I would run like a mile and a half or two miles and be done. And then I met someone at work who had been a runner in high school and college and she was like we should sign up for 5k together and I was like wait you can you can just sign up for 5k like that's a thing and um oh my gosh yeah from there it was like wow my world has opened uh and it just was very very empowering and I and I got so much out of it it was almost like yeah my my whole demeanor changed it really was life-changing for me
0: So where are you today with your running?
1: So I'm in a weird spot with my running right now because, um, you know, I've done three marathons. I've done over a dozen half marathons. I've done Ragnar. uh, You know, I've really gone through it and loved every minute of it. Um, But in 2017, I was diagnosed with chronic exertional compartment syndrome. Uh, So basically the like tissue around my calf muscles was uh, constricting my calf muscles. And so my legs would swell and get really painful when I was running and I couldn't run. Um, And it was a long year of diagnosis, but eventually I was diagnosed and then I had to have uh, surgery on both of my calves to release, to release the fascia basically to release that, that tension. Um, and I thought now I'm two years out from surgery and I've been able to run another half marathon and like I did Gasparilla last weekend and it's, it's been great. But, um, I thought I'd be like ready for another marathon at this point in my recovery. And I think I'm just still like, wow, I'm starting over and I can just enjoy running for running and kind of get out of the rat race of like looking for my next medal, or my next um, longest distance or whatever. And I'm really just in a place of, I'm just having fun again, and running how I want to run. And it's kind of refreshing, really.
0: I mean, it's funny that we get ourselves to a place where we're not necessarily having fun anymore like Mm -hmm. maybe you don't even realize it until you're out of it and then you can make that (laughs) statement I'm just having fun again it's like we're adults we choose to do this why shouldn't we always be having fun
1: (laughs) exactly it's like I always say no one's paying me to do this like I am not a competitive runner I'm not winning races at all Um, So really, it should be all about the fun. And um, it's been really nice to have a reason to come back to the basics.
0: You know, I can tell you from someone who did used to get paid to do sports. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as I decided to stop racing as a pro, there were certain things that, you know, were necessary, like riding certain flat rides and time trial position and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just said, I'm never doing any of those again. I'm <laughs> only doing the roads, the routes, the the races that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a really yeah. freeing, um, you know, realization. I did want to ask, you know, when you had your surgery, mm-hmm. here you have spent so much of your young adult and adult life, like trying to find... Um stability and and a way to help deal with some of the pain that you know you've you've been struggling with with depression and anxiety, and all of a sudden running is the running's the thing you finally found you had so mm-hmm. much joy and it was very healthy for you and suddenly that's taken away. so mm-hmm. how did you get through that period
1: oh that was it was a rough year um and I think that by that time, um, I'd been running for about 10 years. So my, you know, just my mind had shifted a little bit in how I deal with stress and pressure. I was, uh, you know, in a career that I really loved. I was in a healthy and stable relationship. Um, so losing running was very difficult mentally, but I had all of these other support systems, um, to take my mind off of that a little bit. And I had a, a really good friend who, um, who I work with and we would do other kinds of workouts after school, you know, so we wouldn't be running, but we'd be doing like beach body workouts or something like that. Um, which never gave me the same joy as running, but at least kept me kind of physically active. Um, but I'll tell you, I go back and I look at some of my like blog posts from that time period and, they are sad like you can just tell that i'm trying so hard to stay positive and and keep a, a healthy point of view but um i was struggling it was a hard year and i felt like i wasn't myself that whole year i felt like i was in a fog and when i finally was able to run again i actually had a pivotal running moment where i I almost felt like I was opening up inside. I was like, "Oh, I'm coming home!" Like I could feel it physically, uh, you know, change me again. So it was a very difficult year, but I think that because I had developed um, such a good support network by that time, I was able to deal with it in in healthy ways.
0: Wow! Oh my gosh! I love this very sort of visual. <laughs> and visceral uh, concept of opening up to yourself. And Mm -hmm. like you were in that moment and you had enough awareness to really embrace that. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, it was very emotional. I was just like, I was like laughing (laughs) as I was running just like, oh my God, I'm back, I'm home. And it was, yeah, it was a wonderful feeling.
0: Well, it's very hard when we're in it. Whatever it is, like change is basically probably the best way to describe it, it's really hard when you're in the middle of it mm-hmm. because it's just happening and it doesn't happen all at once usually unless it's something traumatic or severe, you know? Mm-hmm. Change happens slowly and you can't really see out of it until you're out of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think being separated from running actually gave me that that um, perspective of how much it really had changed me. Like I hadn't realized it until I couldn't run. And then I was like, wow, it really changed my life. Um, And now I'm grateful for it every day because I got to have that moment.
0: Well, and if it's not running for other people, it can be a different form of exercise. Mm -hmm. But it sounds, you know, and I fully subscribe to this philosophy, that, you know, bodies need to move. You Mm -hmm. know, we need to keep strong bodies because it helps our mind stay stronger too. And oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I was I was also thinking though, I know you had mentioned this maybe in the article that I wrote long ago, which was um that there are some apps out there that can help people who are predisposed to Potentially, you know, relapsing into behaviors they don't want to engage in. Do you have any app suggestions for people? And what, and maybe you can describe how they work.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I use one that's called Calm Harm. There is one called Calm, which I think you might have to pay for. Um, but Calm Harm is free. Um, and I like it because it gives you like different activities in different categories to help you take your mind off whatever you're feeling. So um, there are like distracting activities where it's like list as many authors as you can in five minutes Um, or there's a breathing exercise which I really like. Uh, You can set it to like 30 or 60 seconds and it kind of walks you through slow deep breathing Um, to help center you and you know so there's just some different categories in there and I really like that one I don't I don't have to use it very often anymore but um, when I do have to use it it's very it really works for me it's very effective.
0: Okay that's cool we'll put a link to that in the show notes so other people can find it. Um, Another outlet that you haven't mentioned but it's clear that this is an outlet for you is writing and blogging, oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you did mention it because you said in college, you know, that was an area that really touched your heart and you knew you mm-hmm. needed to pursue and you did as a career, but you've been blogging since, I think, 2012.
1: Yeah, like, you're yeah. You're like the
0: <laughs> longest running blogger I know and you frequently blog. You're not like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people's blogs, you get on there and you're like, they haven't blogged since 18 months ago, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, this is truly an important outlet for you. Maybe you can talk a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, I, um, oh my gosh, I was writing from a very young age. Um, I used to write books and um, poetry and stories all the time. Um, Actually, it's funny because we're cleaning up our house for moving, and I found some of my old book, like quote unquote books, that I wrote in middle school, and they are just terrible but very funny to look back on. Um, but I've I've always loved writing. It was an outlet for me w- before I found uh, running it was one of the ways that I was able to focus my feelings, kind of um, get through whatever it is that I was struggling with and put it into words and whether that was journaling uh, for just myself or, writing for an audience, uh, yeah, it's just always been something that helped me get my brain right, you know? And then I started my blog, um, to try to help keep me motivated for running when I was a fairly new runner. And it just, especially the year that I wasn't able to run, um, became an outlet for just expressing how I was feeling as I went through that whole thing. And I feel like I would not, people ask me like, you know, what, what, how would you describe yourself like what's the one what, what's your one hobby and i always say writing first uh it's it's always the thing that i identify with myself more than anything else
0: that's so cool so what's the name <laughs> of your blog
1: uh my blog is hit the ground running uh and it is it's just abkruns.com
0: okay perfect we'll have links to that in the show notes too because I feel like there's this big trend with running and writing that's kind Mm -hmm. of going on in the world. And I fully also subscribe to the fact that running is a place or when you're just out there in a little more of a, uh, oh, I don't know, just a state where your mind can open up, your mind Mm -hmm. does just that and you have great ideas and a little more clarity. And so you know, getting that being able to put the two together can really lead towards sort of greater enlightenment. So I love it. And I'm excited for people to get a taste of your blog.
1: Yeah, it's definitely I totally agree that when you're out there and, and you're just letting your mind go, sometimes it's amazing the things that come to you, you're just like, where, where did that come from? It's like divine intervention or something.
0: Well, what's really great about your story is that you've struggled. Everybody out there has struggled, and you have tried different things that have not been um, healthy ways to to adapt and cope, and then you have found some that work, and Mm -hmm. these are things that will continue to evolve, and you'll carry them through the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think about you and I think, wow, you're still so young. Like (laughs) what's on the what's on the horizon for you right now?
1: So right now, like I just briefly mentioned, we are packing up the house because we are hoping to to sell it and move across the country all the way to Seattle. Um, So that's kind of like what's next is is an adventure. And, you know, I'm not. Um, a naturally very adventurous person because I have that whole anxiety thing going on. Um, But Matt is very adventurous and he's always getting me out of my shell. So this is kind of our next big thing is we are hoping to, to move to the mountains and kind of start a new adventure out there. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm very excited about it. And um, maybe excited to look for some races in the Seattle area, because it's a totally different terrain than I'm used to. So it'll be a whole new world.
0: Absolutely. It's like, definitely <laughs> the farthest you can get. And we're gonna have to make sure that the weather that you keep, you know, running and riding because I think that weather is going to be a little more reminiscent of Ohio.
1: Oh, yes, I think so. Definitely misty.
0: (laughs) So, you know, you're just such a bright light in this world. You are our guest Instagrammer on the weekends for the whole month of March on the Skirt Mm -hmm. Sports Instagram channel. So make sure that we'll make sure everybody gets over there and follows you. Um, You know, I think it's time for us to wind it down. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, actually, before we do, I just want to ask you, like, you like i said you are just this bright shining light and even though you've had your battles like you've come through them and you're continuing to evolve what is your passion right now
1: oh uh, well i think that my passion right now at this moment is really about like getting out of my comfort zone discovering who i am um and and kind of using that to inspire others to be willing to take risks and push their limits um, and just, you know, really be true to what they, what they want to explore within themselves. I think that, um, you know, I finally kind of got to this point where I am willing to try new things and I'm aware that my anxiety has held me back and I'm like ready to, to do it anyway, you know, and I just want to help other people feel like they can try something new. And even if it's a small thing, like for me, sometimes that just means taking a class I've never taken before at a gym or something. And that seems small to some people, but it can be really difficult to get out of your comfort zone and do that. So I am just passionate about getting people to feel brave enough to do even a small thing like that.
0: Well, you're definitely uh, you're definitely a good role model. <laughs> well, um, let's wrap it up then with the same question I ask every guest who comes on the show. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be?
1: I would say to be gentle with ourselves. You know, we all go through things we all make mistakes we're never perfect we might have off days but i think it's so important to be gentle and forgiving of ourselves so that we can you know go through go through life the best we can without being too hard on ourselves
0: i love it and i couldn't agree more awesome thanks so much for coming on today and taking the time you're doing great things keep it up
1: all right thank you it was my pleasure (laughs)
0: All right, everyone. Wow. Allie is just, she's amazing. Definitely make sure you go over and check her out on ABK underscore runs on Instagram. Um, and definitely check out her blog as well. Um, ABK runs. She is an absolute delight. I'm sure you found the same. I love her final nugget or nuggets. There were multiple nuggets in there. Be gentle with ourselves. We're never perfect. Forgive ourselves. I mean, these are all things that we need to do in order to truly embrace who we are so that we can go forward and do the great things that we were meant to do. Um, on that note, I'm sure you have more great things you were meant to do while wearing the new Skirt Sports All-In Collection or Active Swimline um, be sure you head over to skirtsports.com and use the code back the number two boulder for 25% off everything on our website until we are situated in our new warehouse. All right everybody. Um, I know you're gonna have a wonderful day. you already are because you just listened to this incredible podcast. Well, stay tuned because there are more amazing guests to come. There is one thing that I will tell you with absolute certainty. There are no lack of beautiful, incredible, inspiring people in this world. And I plan to have every single one of them on the show. So I'll be doing this for a millennium. (laughs) All right, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.